fans and colleagues, uh, this is uh, Karen Tate uh, on this special uh, Monday night uh, because of the holiday. I want to thank you for tuning in. And also thanks goes out to Alea Deo um, for uh, that little snippet uh, that she um, uh, you know that she allows me to use here on the show, Time to Awaken. Uh, and I use it often because there's so much, uh, so many of my uh, wonderful guests have to say that uh, require that we awaken. Um, so this, this will be uh, another example of that as we talk about uh, developing super sensible perception uh, with Shelley Renee Joy. Uh, and uh, before we get to that, though, uh, just a few uh, housekeeping announcements. Uh, if you've been a longtime listener to the show, you may or may not have heard that uh, pretty soon here, um, all my shows will be at 11 a.m. Uh, as opposed to 6 p.m. Uh, that's a shift I'm going to make, and uh, most days it, the show will be at 11 a.m. on Wednesday. However, uh, you can avoid missing any shows uh, by going to the show page uh, on Blog Talk, to the Voices of the Sacred Feminine show page, and uh, there is a follow button there. If you click on that, it will ask you for your email, and uh, you will get notice every week of uh, the show and the guest and the topic, and it will be right there in your uh, email inbox, so it makes it real easy for you to just uh, click automatically and listen at your convenience. I highly recommend and that, uh, then you don't have to worry about putting anything on your calendar or uh, how do you find the show or, or anything like that. So um, you might want to think about that. Also, um, coming up, uh, starting in January, uh, you may have heard of one of my books, uh, Goddess Calling in particular is the one I'm talking about, uh, Goddess Calling, Inspirational Messages and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology. I know that's a mouthful. Basically all it means is how uh, goddess spirituality or feminine ideals um, helps us uh, reshape our thinking and uh, reshape the world so that we um, – you know, have better ways of doing things rather than the dominator, oppressive model that we have under patriarchy. Anyway, Goddess Calling, uh, which was uh, written well about uh, by Jean Houston, Barbara Walker, Z Budapest, uh, they all wrote good things in the book. Um, I've decided this year to bring it to my audience, and uh, every month um, I will share a message uh, and a meditation. So that's another thing you uh, will benefit from if you click the follow button. You won't miss that. Um, so, uh, you know, think about that as well. And um, I think I'm also going to be getting on Patreon uh, probably in the early part of the year. So if uh, the show has been uh, a spring that feeds you and uh, you would like to donate uh, any amount, uh, because I have some projects coming up that um, – I would like to bring to the world. Um, you know, I, I will tell you more about that later, uh, but just uh, kind of, you know, dropping that, uh, you know, that, that uh, in your bonnet. Okay, um, I think that about uh, does it for, uh, for the housekeeping, and uh, let's get back to uh, tonight's show. Again, uh, I have with me uh, Shelley Renee Joy, and our topic is uh, developing super sensible perception. I want to tell you a little bit about uh, Shelley, uh, you know, before we actually start the interview. Uh, she is also uh, hailing from California. We were talking before the show uh, that she's up near uh, Mount Shasta, and uh, I'm up near Mount Pinos. <laughs> we were comparing notes there because uh, compared to some of my guests who are around the world, we feel like we're neighbors in each other's backyard. Um, and uh, Shelley was born on the island of Trinidad. Her father was in the Air Force, uh, so they moved around a lot. Uh, she spent some of her childhood in London, Alabama, Virginia. Uh, she was fascinated by science and science fiction. She became a licensed uh, radio operator on, you know, they call it a ham radio uh, at age 14. 
uh, during uh, her last year of high school, she won the Northern Virginia Science Fair, and um, later on she entered Rice University on a physics scholarship, and she found herself drawn to study electromagnets and radio communication theory, and she graduated with a B.S., and uh, electrical engineering. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Uh, the year before graduation, uh, her worldview changed by an experience of LSD on a Northern California beach one night, and she became uh, interested in a new subject consciousness and spirituality. She wanted to understand the physics of consciousness and explore more deeply the new worlds that uh, were opening up uh, under the influence of, um, you know, sacred uh, hallucinogens. So uh, after graduating, she moved to New York and was fortunate enough to study and work with John Lilly in his Interspecies Communications Research Project. With his help, uh, she built on her own. Uh, she built her own isolation chamber for quantum. Uh, I can't get the word out, uh, contemplative exploration. Uh, she spent several years studying Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, then uh, she was doing workshops with Alan Watts. Uh, she heard of CIIS, the California Institute of Integral Studies. We've had many of the scholars from there on the show. And, um, and CIIS had a unique approach to, uh, seek to uh, the seeking to integrate fields of science, religion, and mysticism and consciousness, uh, both academically and experientially. Um, she received her MA in Indian philosophy. She married another student. They moved to Saudi Arabia for two decades. Uh, where they raised a son and a daughter. Uh, she returned to San Francisco, um, entered a doctoral program in consciousness, was awarded her Ph.D. in 2016. I'm exhausted just reading this bio. <laughs> I don't know how, uh, <laughs> how she found the time. Uh, but finally, as I said before, uh, now she's in the mountains of Northern California near Lassen Volcanic National Park. Uh, she has a cat, a macaw. Uh, and a wife, and uh, she's published uh, seven seven books. Seven books. Uh, the most recent being "Developing Super Sensible Perception: Knowledge of the Higher Worlds Through Ethnogens, uh, Prayer, and Non-Dual Awareness," which is what we're talking about tonight. So, Shelley, I'm tired. <laughs> um, how did you manage? Uh, I mean, wow. Um, did you ever sleep? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love to sleep. Yeah. I, I, I go into the dream world, and that's, that's another whole other book topic, I suppose. <laughs> okay. Well, so, so how did you make the transition from studying science uh, and electrical engineering to consciousness? Um, was it all about that, that night on the beach with LSD? Or, um, you know, tell us that, that story briefly. Well, it, that was a main factor, and I, uh, I tell a lot of people that. But actually, I think it started out because I'm, I'm a transgender woman, and uh, from a very early age, two or three, I was sure I was a little girl and couldn't figure out why my parents insisted otherwise. So I've always been, ever since then, I suppose, searching for my true self, trying to understand identity and what it means to be masculine or feminine or both. And uh, so to sort of uh, to sort of uh, survive and not think about that conundrum so much, I really focused on studying. And I was good in math, and I was also good in English. And, and um, in fact, it took me five and a half years to get through my electrical engineering degree because I took so many additional elective courses in psychology and philosophy trying to understand what is wrong with me, I guess, or try to fix myself somehow. So, uh, but my fifth year, just before my final uh, year of engineering school, I did go to California. I was had, had married. I married an 18-year-old. I was 20, and um, it was her idea for us to get married. I had told her about my conundrum, and she thought, well, if we get married, that will probably fix it. Well, you know... <laughs> Didn't really exactly fix it, but <laughs> we ended up in California, uh, and I was a, a summer intern doing computer programming uh, near Los Angeles. And uh, it happened to be 1967, you know, the summer of love and hippies and 
everything was fluid, uh, relationships and and society. It was an exciting time, really exciting. And uh, she was an artist, a painter, and I got very interested in, in painting. In fact, I painted ever since then. But uh, all our friends were artists, and I got talked into something that most electrical engineers probably don't do, or <laughs> even back then, uh, taking LSD on, on the beach. We went up near Big Sur, a beautiful night. It was, it was, uh, there was no moon, so the stars were incredibly bright. And um, I had been mulling around. My, my professors back in the electrical engineering department, they try to get you to to focus on what you want to do the rest of your life in research, what you want to be really specialize in. And I hadn't really come up with anything yet except for I was interested in radios and communicating with invisible electricity waves, of course. But uh, that night under the beach, I've described it in my book pretty, pretty over about five or six pages, I understood that there was a lot more going on in the world than they taught me in school. It was like an ocean of conscious entities floating around. I was like, uh, it was just incredible. Um, but uh, the upshot was, the next day, as I started uh, coming back to my everyday senses, I realized that's what I wanted to do, was study consciousness, pure consciousness. What, what does it mean? And I also thought that would probably help solve my conundrum. Um, so I did uh, start looking into, beyond psychology, I started looking into to mysticism uh, also. Uh, certainly in the beginning it was yoga, because back then, you know, you had the Maharaji teaching the Beatles how to meditate, and a lot of yogis were coming over to the U.S. So again, unlike many electrical engineers uh, who focus pretty much on electrical engineering, I suppose, I, I started going to all kinds of lectures uh, on meditation and mysticism, and I got really fascinated in it. And I thought, you know, being an academic-oriented person, that I, I carried on doing that even after I moved to New York after graduation. And New York was a wonderful place to meet uh, all kinds of mystics uh, and people trying to do research in changing consciousness. And uh, uh, among many books I found, I found some books by uh, Rudolf Steiner, and Rudolf Steiner really impressed me very much because he had been actually studying to be an engineer at the Vienna Institute of Technology uh, back in the late 1800s. And, but he became also fascinated by, by consciousness and the idea of evolution. Of course, evolution became a theory in the mid-1800s, and everyone was interested in it. And he was interested in the evolution of consciousness on Earth. And... Um, to make a long story short, he eventually uh, identified three different ways that people think. And he he believes that uh, we were being lopsided in the way that we taught children and, and, uh, and people in college, that we were focusing so much on, on their left brain, uh, masculine sort of uh, logical, uh, verbal modes of thinking, whereas to really find a balance, he thought that we should also develop, uh, you know, focus on things like art and poetry, drawing, dance, music, to find some kind of a balance between the the, uh, the very sort of masculine and, and feminine approaches to, to thinking. But he went even further than that. After uh, some years, he realized there's a third mode of thinking, which developed from his practicing meditation, and he called it intuitive thinking. So he he wrote extensively. He, he wrote over 400 books uh, that were published. Uh, I just don't see how anyone has the time to do that. And this is before word processors for sure. But um, wow. He, wow. he believed there are three systems of thinking and that each one should be developed so that they integrated and they provided a really balanced way of understanding the world. Um, uh, two of the ways of thinking were feminine and, and masculine in a way, and, and they sort of correlate with uh, a lot of work that's been done on, on right brain, left brain studies. Um, right, when, right. When people have uh, had very bad uh, uh, epileptic seizures, they notice that there's, it was almost like the two halves of the brain were battling, and all these electrical impulses go between all of the connections between the two halves of the, of the two hemispheres. 
So somebody in, in Los Angeles, of course, a doctor, uh, decided he was going to cut this, uh, that all of these connections, interconnections, the wires between the two halves uh, of the brain. It's called a, a corpus callosum. And they found out that by cutting them, it did stop the battles. People stopped having uh, terrible fits, you know, and convulsions. And however, a really strange thing was observed, uh, and and he did a lot of research on it. It it seemed that once you cut that, there are two personalities in the brain: uh, a masculine one on the on the le- on the left, and a more feminine one on the right. And these, uh, through a bunch of experiments. He found that they're almost like two separate uh, beings within within the one cranium. And um, uh, recently, there's, there's a mathematical uh, some mathematical theories of consciousness uh, that have recently come out by Donald Hoffman, uh, an MIT trained uh, mathematician, uh, actually a, a, a mathematician who also studied psychology. So he was interested in in uh, in how we how we really perceive the world. And he came up with a, a term called interface consciousness. And what we see and hear and think and smell is, is uh, he, he uh, equates it to something like our, our desktop on our computer, our laptop or our, our computer screen, where everything we see is like an icon. It's like a, not the reality. In other words, we don't really see reality. That our interface uh, shields us from what's really going on, and it only... It filters out some many things, but it, it, and it shows some things that help us uh, survive, I suppose. And uh, more recent research has, has found has kind of supported his idea. He talks about conscious agents that when two conscious agents come together, it creates a new form of consciousness. So the idea is that we we all have a, a, a female and a male oriented uh, brain system, but but normally it fuses and it's, it's, it comes out as we think we're one person, and we act as if and think as if we're one person. But, um, but there's actually two beings in there, and our society. Interesting. Uh, and Steiner uh, acknowledges our society is focused too much on, on linear thinking and words right. and logic, on the left brain. and that's a right. very masculine yeah. thing. Yeah, well, so, uh, in fact, you know, we find now that we find now that in schools uh, they don't even want to, um, you know, finance the arts. You know, they don't want to support the arts, so they're yeah, it's getting you worse. Know, there you yeah, go. It's the right, getting worse. Yeah, the, the right brain gets neglected. But you know, before we go too deep in the weeds on the scientific angles of all of this, because I don't want my you know listeners' eyes to glaze over here, um, <laughs> no. I want to talk a little bit more. Of, you know about your you know your personal experiences um, it, um can we go there or did you have a quick oh, sure. wrap on you know all of the scientific stuff no wherever you would like to go it's uh, it's way too much to talk about in an hour that's why i have a Right, right, right. So I want to try to, and I mean, what you said, you know, is absolutely interesting. You know, I never heard it described that way, Um, but it's certainly, um, you know, food for thought. I mean, I'm sure most of my listeners know about the right and left brain, uh, but the way, uh, you know, Steiner, uh, you know, described it and that other fellow, um, I I mean, it kind of takes it to a new level. But, you know, you mentioned um, uh, that you had some sort of an incident in the forest um was that some sort of conscious awakening like when you were out on the beach well it it was in the sense that it um it it made me it it, uh strengthened my conviction that there's so much unknown you know i studied science mainly because i thought science knew almost everything you know there wasn't much more to learn science was just going to uh get more precise perhaps and that that by really studying science and, and math, which is tough to study, but I would understand my own inner inner issues. I would understand quite a, a lot of stuff. Well, sadly, science really doesn't know that much. Um, it doesn't know why things happen, for instance. It doesn't know why gravity works. It only describes how things work, and they, they've developed mathematics, the wonderful tool, language of science, mathematics, to, to model what happens in the real world, and then with those models, they're able to predict what's going to happen and design things like iPhones and 
and computers and uh, steam shovels and things like that. So I was really disillusioned with, with science by the time I finished my electrical engineering studies that, you know, it's, it's, it's not really, it doesn't really have the understanding that I was looking for. So I, I, I started focusing more on philosophy and mysticism because those subjects really deal with experiential reality and give you an idea about what, what really is happening. And the most amazing thing I think I got from Steiner was that there's a third mode of thinking, uh, and this third mode is intuitive thinking. Intuitive thinking right. or non-dual awareness. And it, 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 the word itself, intuitive, uh, comes from in, it, within you, and tuition. Tuition is, is learning or being taught. So if you're able to connect internally with what Steiner calls the higher worlds, um, you'll actually, you actually then start getting knowledge from those higher worlds, and you get guidance, you get intuitive. Uh, your, your, your life actually starts happening in a much better way. Things happen to you, uh, synchronicity occurs, and uh, I think it's all a product of meditation, of people practicing trying to be quiet, you know, Baba Ramdas talked about be here mm-hmm. now. Well, being here now okay. in the present is a very female thing, sort of a feminine thing, whereas the male is always sort of looking behind at the past and the future, trying to project and, and, and predict what's going to happen. But uh, right. our, our whole teaching system teaches people to be so verbal, to be so caught up in words and you know, calling up words right. and, and logic and arguing our whole culture has become really uh, left-brain dominant and, and, and masculine uh, to the detriment of our, our mental health, really, and our the society's mental health, if you can right. talk about a whole society right. well, being you're not, sick. I, yeah. I think we're out of balance. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get any uh, – yeah, I mean, you're not going to get any um, – you know, in any fight from me or any of my listeners, you know, we've been, uh, you know, we've been kind of on that page for a very long time. But I want to go back. I want to pull you back to that incident that happened in the forest um, because, you know, we want to sort of hear your experiential uh, accounts. Um, What actually happened, uh, you know, in the forest that day or night? Sure. Uh, That really was like the hit the nail on the head for me. that that I was really going in the right direction trying to uh, find data and information from the accounts of mystics and contemplatives, you know, in many different cultures. You know, it was my last year of engineering school, and we were taking a break. I think there was a three-day weekend, and we decided to go out into the countryside near Austin, Texas. And there's a place, an ancient place called Hamilton's Pool. It was a pool uh, where a cavern had fallen in, and it made a big circular pool about... 100 feet in diameter with some cliffs on the opposite side and a little sand beach. So we went out there like at uh, 10 or 11 at night, and and we were just, three of us were sitting against a boulder just looking across the the water. And suddenly, you know, if you've ever been in a Texas uh, forest or, well, a lot of places, you hear the, these, the, we call them the cicadas or the crickets. There's a lot of chirping. Yeah. It's like yeah. a whole humming of the forest. All of a sudden, the noise stopped. All the humming stopped completely, and uh, we kind of looked at each other. And suddenly, there was a light coming uh, up the creek, uh, the creek that drained the pool, went down toward a river a mile or so away. There was a light that came up, kind of bobbing and weaving, and we got really scared. I mean, we talked about this the next day, but at the time, we didn't say a word because we were just trying to be really quiet. There's a lot of legends around Austin about woodchoppers, you know, in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that people sometimes vanish in the forest at night. And, you know, we just got a little bit apprehensive or maybe scared of the word. And this thing was bobbing, and it came slowly, and so we were real still and quiet, hoping it wouldn't see us if it was somebody with a flashlight. But it turned out to be a, a sphere of light. Uh, it looked almost like a like a million tiny little fireflies uh, uh, swarming in a perfectly circular globe uh, sphere. And it was moving very slowly up and down, sort of bobbing and weaving as if it were alive, about six six to, or ten feet above the water of the creek. 
I mean, it was just, you know, hard to believe that you would ever see something like that. You know, and I, of course, I thought UFO, but it doesn't look like a machine, you know. It looks like something very alive. Uh, so the, this this bobbing globe of light moved slowly uh, around the uh, the edge of the circular pool. I, I said it was about 100 feet in diameter. And uh, when it got to the waterfall, there was a waterfall that fed the pool uh, pool on the other side of the the the, the lake um, or pond. Uh, it stopped in front of the waterfall and it dipped up and down. Uh, like four or five feet and went back up three times. Uh, I remember that very vividly, wondering what it's doing. And then it continued its circum circumambulation, I think that's the word, around the pool until it got to where we were leaning against the rock on the beach and it stopped. It stopped and it seems like a million years I was sitting there with this thing hovering above us. It just stopped. It looked like really thousands of little tiny stars or fireflies moving, they would move in little tiny straight lines, but thousands of little straight lines, but bounded within a, a sphere, uh, almost the size of a beach ball, a small beach ball. And I, I thought we were <laughs> going to die or something, you know, but, I mean, it was just, you know, our minds must have stopped. But then after what seemed like an eternity, it started moving again back to the creek, and then it went down the creek, and finally the light went out. And uh, wow. we looked at each other and That's decided we incredible. wanted to go home. <laughs> and But what this did for <laughs> me, more, more than the LSD even perhaps, was make me convinced that there's a heck of a lot more going on in the universe than the science books I had been studying told me, you know. Uh, since then... So let me uh, ask I, you, Shelley. Yeah. Shelley... Shelly, let me ask you. Let me let me take a breath. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, you know, so so did you? Um, you know, in all these years, in hindsight, do you have any idea what that might have been? Well, you know, I've come across a few references to very similar things. Uh, Alistair Crowley, Alistair Crowley, who was a sort of a magician uh, in, in Britain back in the 1800s and early 1900s. He he actually wrote in his journals, I, I read uh, some of his work, and he was in a hut near one of the locks in Scotland, and there was a big storm outside, and suddenly this ball of light entered his hut. He had the door open. It was the summer, and it wasn't that cold. This ball of light came in his room and slowly went around the room and then left, and afterward he said he, he smelled the very distinct smell of ozone, you know, which comes with electrical discharges, but he didn't know what it was. But the the most uh, the most definitive account I've come across was from John Blofeld. John Blofeld explored China back in the early part of last century, 1915 to 1930, maybe. He traveled all over China, uh, trying to study with Buddhist masters. So he found uh, the temple of Wu Tai Shan. Uh, and he stayed there a while, and they said, uh, this is an auspicious night because the bodhisattvas come down from the top of the mountain uh, on this night sometimes. And, and he said, well, what is that? And he said, well, join us and you'll see. So they climbed up the mountain, and, and he discovered that they had these meditation platforms up on stilts. And he sat on one of them with a couple of the monks, and these balls of light started coming slowly, majestically down the mountain, uh, and sometimes they would stop in front of them for a briefly pause and then keep going. And the monks said that they were wow. bodhisattvas. But, I mean, uh, I mean, nobody has knows what they are, I suppose. Uh, I suppose a lot of people who say they see UFOs uh, had the same thing. So, so Shelley, when when this when this happened, or in the or in Crowley's account, or in China with the monks, there wasn't any uh, telepathy happening. I mean, it wasn't like there was any messages being exchanged. It was just this well, visual experience. I have a feeling that there was information exchanged, but I, I really believe it's with parts of us that are not not above normal consciousness. You know, there's. There's other parts of our right. consciousness that we're unaware of. Like you're not conscious of how your stomach is working or your heart is working, and yet we have little sort of sub-programs of consciousness, what uh, Donald Hoffman would call uh, right. conscious agents. In other words, uh, so, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, yeah, Gurdjieff, I, yeah. 
Go ahead. Well, uh, I, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, it's subtle. It happens in the background. We're not really aware of it, but it's, but you know, but we have these multiple things happening all the time. Well, I wanted to know more about the inner sounds. Um, you know, uh, when was that? Uh, I I was in New York and um, I had been practicing hatha yoga really uh, rigorously for for about a year. This was after graduating with my engineering degree, and I moved to New York and uh, I found myself working for the Port Authority and the World Trade Center. Uh, actually, I was in the North Tower on the 64th floor where I worked during the day. Um, but I practiced a lot of hatha yoga and I lived in a fifth floor walk up on East Sixth Street. East Sixth Street and Avenue A for any of your New York listeners would know that was a pretty bad neighborhood back then, but the rent was really cheap. So that's where I lived, and um, it was pretty quiet on the fifth floor, you know. And I, 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 uh, I used to practice my hatha yoga. So one evening I was doing a shoulder stand, you know, uh, with my legs way up in the air, and suddenly I heard a, a really loud, uh, a bright sound. All the way I can describe it, it sounds like a single frequency, you know, a very high frequency pitch sound, and it was located in, in sort of the right half of my head. And at first, I was really scared because uh, I thought maybe it's an aneurysm or something. This is, is not normal. Uh, but I found that by focusing on it, it got louder. So I tried not to focus on it, you know, and. Uh, what happened that entire night, these sounds would come and go, and, I, and I, if I focused on them, they would get louder. And I was sure I had damaged my brain somehow. I, I, was, uh, I was fascinated, you know, by the phenomenon, but also kind of scared. Um, I actually must have had a fever also because I was soaked in sweat the next morning when I woke up, you know, I finally went to sleep. And I still could hear some of the sounds. Uh, they would come and go. And so I started looking uh, furiously through some of the bookstores, the occult bookstores and in the psychology section, looking for inner sounds. And I finally found uh, some, uh, a lot of books, surprisingly, uh, in the sections on yoga. And there's a section, uh, there's this whole practice called Nada Yoga, and Shabda, based on Shabda, the theory of sound in India. And that um, apparently the Sikhs, uh, the Sikhs can, are contemplatives, and they also, uh, some of their uh, religious teachers have written books on, on Shabda and Nada Yoga, and they call it the inner sounds, and I really believe uh, Madame Blavatsky, who founded the Theosophical Society, she wrote a book called The Voice of the Silence, so I really have a, a feeling that that's what she was referring to, and it's, it's actually a a pretty big uh, uh, practice in, in certain sects in India that when you practice, in, uh, you sit in a really quiet, dark place, you can start to hear some of these bright sounds. Now, since then, I've realized that this is what many people call tinnitus, or at least it's similar to tinnitus. But right away, our medical doctors say, oh, that's a disease. We have to get rid of it. Don't listen to it. Uh, try to think of something else. Or, and they even have various drugs to keep people from listening to tinnitus. Um, people get worried when they're, they start hearing sounds in their brain. But I was encouraged. So, well, uh, let me ask. Well, well, let me ask you about that. You know, because you raise an interesting point. What do you get from it? I mean, um, if, especially if maybe tinnitus is one of these inner sounds, or I mean, uh, you know, let's not focus just on tinnitus. Whatever this sound is, um, what do you glean from it? Well, what I what I discovered was from studying uh, yoga, and actually, you know, I did go and study Sanskrit so I could understand the texts better. I would find like four or five different translations of the same Sanskrit sentence. So I really wanted to, you know, being a sort of a nerd uh, with an electrical engineering degree, I thought I need to study Sanskrit a little bit to understand what they're talking about. And um, so I went to California and, and worked on my MA degree, and um, and I learned about chakras. Now, the chakras are supposed to, there's at least seven. Uh, in some yoga schools, they say there's many, many more. But there are areas within your body uh, that I discovered, because I looked through phys physiology books, there are areas that are full of nerves, nerve plexes, 
and uh, endoc endocrine system has uh, a lot of structures right there. And there's a chakra like your heart chakra, your throat chakra. Uh, there's a yeah, one. We, yeah, yeah, we're we're familiar with chakras. Yeah. So here's what happened. I discovered in my meditation by focusing on a certain chakra, a certain distinct sound would arise. It would be a, a different pitch, ah. a different frequency. So you know, I've been doing this now for over 40 years uh it's my main meditation is after i say i you know i get in a very dark quiet place if i'm traveling i wear ear put earplugs in to make it really quiet uh john Lilly showed me how to make a uh, sensory deprivation chamber which i had in new york for a while um because it makes it a lot easier to hear these inner sounds and and what you do is you 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 take your consciousness and you you bind it around a certain area uh, in Sanskrit, the, the, the Patanjali says, "Desha bandhas chitasya dharana." Dharana is is constraining your awareness to a small uh, um, uh, space uh, in your body. So it could be the your perineum, or uh, the, the center of your abdomen. Uh, many religions pick the heart. In fact, Christians have the Sacred Heart of Jesus uh, meditation, supposedly, and of course the center of your head too. You can focus on the center of your head. But the idea is by focusing awareness on these areas, the capillaries dilate and they get more energy, more food, they get cleaned out, and they actually start to grow because you're stimulating them with these uh, afferent and efferent nerve systems that go to those plexes. So uh, in India, of course, they, 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 the analogy they give to them is that they're, they're flowers and they open, and they can open with petals but you have to take the time to meditate on them in a regular, uh, a regular every day. It's actually the best way. Spend five or ten minutes, just say, focusing on your heart, trying to center your awareness in the area that you know in your body that's your heart, in a really quiet, dark place, and you'll start to hear some of these high-frequency sounds that are the special frequency for that chakra. And the chakras start to develop... So you're so basically, Go you're ahead. aligning with the vibration of each. So basically, you're aligning exactly. with the vibration of each chakra. Exactly, you're and, Okay. And, and, and there's an gotcha. energy transfer. And um, the idea is, uh, it's kind of like cloud computing. Uh, any of the computer people listening to this will know cloud computing is we have computers all over the place that distribute the computing and they inter they inter uh, communicate with one another that the chakras form a distributed network of consciousness within your human body, that you're not just thinking with your brain, which is uh, like a laptop computer, but each of the chakra areas are receiving information and, I guess, broadcasting information on a slightly different plane in a slightly different dimension. Um, some people, uh, some teachings try to get you to focus on just one chakra and develop it, but... Uh, in Tibet, for instance, uh, they actually try to get you to work on all seven chakras. And um, Padmasambhava uh, actually taught, he has a famous mantra that has seven syllables, and you focus on each chakra sequentially uh, as you go through this, this mantra and say it over and over again. And you, you, you know, feel your throat and say a syllable, and you feel your heart, and then you feel just below your lungs there's a chakra, and then in the center of your abdomen, and then your, and your perineum. And um, I've been doing this for many years, and it, the, the feelings during meditation have changed quite a bit. Uh, you start to feel, uh, I believe, what Steiner calls intuitive thinking, what uh, uh, people like call, some mm -hmm. scientists like Carl Berman call uh, quantum or holonomic thinking, a non-dual awareness, meaning that you're resonating. Right. With a, a chakra area that's that's resonating with with higher worlds, Steiner would say higher worlds, um, but it's the the heart is super sensible perception. It's um, let me just give you a real quick quote from from Steiner. This Wait, might help well, people. Shelley, Shelley, mm. Shelley, whew, I'm I'm lassoing you in here. Um, you got to take a breath every now and again. Let me get a word in. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but. But we are late taking a break, um, so we're going to take a break here. Um, uh, I normally do it at the half hour, uh, but we're going to do it now. And when we come back, we're going to move into the super sensible perception, okay? Okay. So, um, 
Uh, okay, so hang in there with me. Uh, we'll uh, we'll be back to it in just a second. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is, and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s, and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. So that was a review of Joe Carson's book, uh, Celebrate Wildness. And as you heard her say, um, this uh, lovely book, Celebrate Wildness, is available only from the website feriferia.org, F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. Okay, so we're with Shelley Renee Joy, and um, uh, we are talking about developing super sensible perception. And Shelley, I need to give you a heads up. Um, we 40 minutes has already gone by, and I oh, know boy. you want to get in a lot more stuff. So you're going to have to really kind of keep the story shorter, and you know, go, you know, be a little bit more concise. Um, Talk fast. So you want to, you know, <laughs> we. Right. Well, and, and, you know, uh, you don't have to provide so much information, you know, kind of just get to the point and we'll get more okay. in. Um, but so the super sensible perception, um, how did this come about? Uh, and I think you said there's five ways to experience. What is it, first of all? And then what are the five ways to experience it? Well, let me just read this quote really quick from Steiner. It's really important. It's from his book called Knowledge of the Higher Worlds and Its Attainment, The Acquisition of Supersensible Perception. So he says, quote, In addition to what we may call the ordinary everyday self, everyone also bears a higher self, a higher human being within. The higher human being remains hidden until awakened. It can be awakened only as each individual awakens it inwardly. Until then, those latent higher faculties within each of us, which lead to supersensory knowledge, remain hidden. So that's the crux of his whole thing: is that we need to we we have the key to unlock these new ways of perceiving intuitive uh, thought, but we need to we have to put some work into it. We have to practice. We have to learn some form of meditation, uh, and they all basically eventually have the same result that we start to become more sensitive in various areas, the chakras, I would say, to things going on around us and within us. And it makes you not only more right, physically so healthy, but psychologically. But mentally. All right, so let's tick off, you know, the five ways to um, awaken that super sensible perception. Well, uh, yes, definitely. Um one of the ways is just being born with the gift of supersensory perception. So uh, what I'm doing is paraphrasing the five ways that Patanjali, the ancient uh, sage from India from the 4th century, wrote uh, the Yoga Sutras. It's like the classic uh, Indian uh, text for meditation techniques. So he said there's five ways that you can uh, attain supersensible perception. The first one is being born with it. You know, being born a psychic, like I think Steiner was for sure. Okay, all right. Well, if you're not, what would, so let's you know, let's keep going through them. The number two. Uh, let's see, uh, John Oshidi. Okay, I'm thinking of the Sanskrit and trying to translate. The second one is drugs, Oshidi. 
uh, drugs uh, that are used as entheogens, uh, not not for uh, okay. uh, entertainment, but uh, like uh, ayahuasca, LSD, and even uh, cannabis works quite well too. They're ways of opening up the bandwidth of your awareness uh, beyond the okay. thinking, verbal, cognitive mind. Uh, the third way okay, is mon- three. mantra. Yeah. Number three is mantra, okay. which, which is uh, man is it comes from the Sanskrit root for mind, and tra is to cross. So to cross beyond your mind, mantra, uh, you repeat prayers. Basically, it, it's what most religions teach as prayers. You know, like uh, I was brought up as a Catholic, and so we did rosaries. So you say the same prayer over and over, and it has a very similar effect to the uh, Sanskrit mantras. What the mantras are are okay. like an airlock, an airlock between your normal verbal, cognitive, memory, you know, your everyday thinking. It's, it's, it's like a transition. It calms down the thinking part of your mind the, the way you normally think and allows something else to be perceived. So that was the third okay, way. Okay, number Montreux. four. Uh, the, the fourth way is, is actually psychophysical practices. Uh, I would say it's like focusing on your chakras, uh, doing hatha yoga. Uh, many people in America only think that yoga is hatha yoga, but there's actually eight different kinds of yoga, and the physical hatha yoga is only one of them. Then um, there's all kinds of psychophysical uh, uh, practices. You, you can, you can uh, from tai chi, moving practices, to kinhin, uh, uh, and hatha yoga is good too. And, the, and then the, the fifth one is samadhi. Samadhi means bringing it all together. Sam means, uh, it's almost like S-A-M, but it's almost like summation. Samadhi means bring everything together, bring all your three modes of thinking together in the silence and the dark, and just be aware, just listen. Just listening for something that's happening. And I would say uh, you would if you're lucky, you'll get a little bit of tinnitus. <laughs> I would say the nada might, <laughs> might start. And not to be afraid of that. So not Shelley, to try to, yeah. So, Shelley, what, what are some of the early signs that a person might be beginning to acquire the super uh, sensible perception? Well, uh, okay, I'll take a line from uh, Gary Lockman. Gary Lockman is the bass guitarist for the punk band Blondie. You know? <laughs> I don't know if you know him. But uh, he wrote a book on Rudolf Steiner, An Introduction to His Life and Work. And so here's a quote from Gary Lockman. He says, one result of practicing Steiner's exercises is a change in one's dreams. They become more vivid. Another result is the beginning of the ability to perceive auras and sense the chakras. So that was from a, a rock guitarist, bass guitarist, which... Uh, I don't okay, know if that so makes dreams, him an authority, but dreams. He listened to a lot of free dreams or <laughs> So, so you your dreams will be more vivid. Uh, yes, they become see, eidetic. Uh, eidetic uh, dreams are very you'll, intense. You'll see. Yeah, and one of the goals of uh, like uh, there's a dream yoga in Tibet. One of the goals while you're dreaming, try to remember to look at the top of your of your hands, one of your hands or both. So if you can do that, then you'll, you'll sort of activate your memory slightly so that you can remember the dream a lot easier. And for years I kept a dream journal, and uh, it's, it's really amazing. You, you read your journal later, and you don't ever remember having that dream. But uh, if you can try to remember to slightly take control of the dream by looking at the back of your hand in the dream, uh, you'll find you're able to remember the dream a lot easier. And it's it's again okay. it's a matter of practice. Mm-hmm. It takes practice. It's another sort of meditative practice. So now let's talk. Let's switch to. Um, I, I'm being discerning here about which you know where we're going to go with the little bit of time we have left. So sure, um, we can talk about uh, physics, which I haven't the, gotten into at all. <laughs> no, no, I don't think we're. I don't think we're going to go there. Uh, I know. <laughs> uh, what I want to what I want to talk about is the mantra and yantra. What are those? And or in in is there an equivalent in Christian mysticism? Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, I've, I've already said a little bit about mantra. And, of course, mantra are like prayers right. in Christian mysticism. In fact, one of the best ones is the Jesus prayer that was developed in Russia. And people would go around, says they would say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, over and over. And the beginners were supposed to try to do it 2,000 times a day. 
and the more advanced ones are supposed to go up to four or five thousand. So the the beginning monks were told to practice this mantra over and over. And what that does is just calm down your normal active talking mind and thinking about, you know, an inbox right. of all kinds of thoughts waiting to pop out and helps you focus. So how is that different from the yantra? The yantra is a visual how is that different symbol. From the yantra? You keep your eyes okay. open because mantra has to do with sound and vibration. But the yantra has to do right. with the visible. Uh, and so in Christian mysticism, it's the icons. In fact, I actually paint icons myself of angels and, and saints. Um, focusing, and, and the way the Tibetans did it, they would have a, a, a tanka, a Tibetan uh, drawing uh, or painting, and they would try to visualize it. They would look at it and then close their eyes and try to reproduce it within their minds uh, uh, and they would get to the, where they could memorize the whole tanka enough so that they could go themselves and paint one from memory. And, uh, and these what are like that really, do, what, they're they're pushing your senses to they're pushing your sense sensory systems to the limit, so that you can actually go further, and start to intuitively perceive things, uh, not only through sound but through visual, uh, so that when you go out into the world. You, your deeper parts of you will start becoming uh, intuitive. Intuitive means you're you're getting information from inside you, from from these deeper areas that are just on the verge of evolving in human beings, but take a little bit of work to actually catalyze and come out. And what would be the Christian equivalent to the mantra in the yantra? Well, the the mantra is a prayer. Any prayer you would say over and over, repeat, repeating a prayer. Right. The yantra would be the right, icons. So if you go right. into like a, an Orthodox uh, Russian church, you see lots and lots of icons on the wall, and with candles, beautiful gotcha. candles all over the place. And so, and if your mind starts wandering, like you start thinking, "Oh, what's for dinner?" Then your your eye just might catch one of the icons looking at you, and it will just freeze you, make you get very still. And, of course, the incense and the chanting, it all works like synesthesia to sort of overload all your senses, but overload them and push them toward this transcendental, some kind of a transcendental experience. And uh, I I actually became Russian Um, Orthodox a few years ago. It was was that um, appealing. Um, So uh, I want to ask you about uh, if... It's possible to communicate with those who've passed beyond uh, yes. once you've started to develop this perception. Uh, talk about yes. that a little bit. Well, uh, I, and I do this when I uh, meditate every day now, and it didn't start happening oh, until about 10 years ago. That I, 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 The way I do it, I sit in the dark on a zafu, uh, you know, like a Japanese meditation cushion. I have a little altar that has some photographs and pictures of people I've loved, my parents who are dead and people who have died, and a few people still living too. Um, And I blow out the candle and I say a few prayers. Uh, Anybody can say probably a prayer from their own tradition. And, and, And then I try to get very quiet and I start thinking of people I've loved and known before. And I actually feel them in my heart. It's like, it's like because you've been close to someone, you it's like their telephone number. You you unconsciously know how to communicate with them. If you're open and you try and you make the will, you open yourself and you reach out and you actually touch the spirit of the person who's gone beyond. Because they're not gone. They're in eternity right now. They're in what uh, uh, David Baum, the physicist, would call the implicate order or the frequency domain. I, I, don't have time to get into that now, but it's in my book in the second half, if anyone's interested. Um, and so I actually communicate with my parents. I just say sort of, you don't speak in words. You just feel them. You can feel them in your heart. You can you can actually feel their presence. I have a, one of my best friends from my 20s died recently, and so I still sort of hang out with, with him, uh, you know, just for a little while as part of my meditation. And then after I've sort of said hello okay. to a few people and felt them, then I go into the total silence where you just try to be um, empty, just listening. In fact, St. Benedict, who founded the Benedictines, his first word of his book is ascolta, which means listen. So the key to meditation is silencing the mind but listening. 
listening to what sounds or feelings or intuitions will come in that silence and in that dark place. And uh, I tried to distill a lot uh, of these teachings in the book I wrote, so hopefully someone will take a look um, and maybe it will change their life. Well, um, you you certainly have done an incredible amount of research, and um, and I, I want to try to get to two last things really quick. Um, sure. So, what would be the first steps for someone to begin experiencing this super sensible perception? Uh, they need to find a quiet place. Uh, for many many places I've lived, I've used a closet, a walk-in closet. If you have a walk-in closet, it's really quiet because the clothes absorb the sound and. There's no windows usually. Um, or just, you know, do it at night when it's dark and your house is dark. And you should be very quiet, too. So, uh, like I said, I've used earplugs. You can get really good earplugs from uh, uh, gun stores. If you have any nearby, they have earplugs that keep you from hearing anything. And uh, start to try to meditate. And I would say start out with just five minutes. Set a little timer, your your iPhone timer or something, for five minutes. And see if it's possible to just stop your thoughts from rising, stop your memories from popping up. You know, don't force them, but if they start to rise, just don't be attached to them. Because once you get attached to an idea or a thought, you know, it takes off and you give it energy and um, and you're lost, you know. If you're trying to develop this higher sensitivity, just listen and let go of any thoughts or uh, things that come up and just be in the silence and like I say, you can actually, in that silence, you can reach out and, and feel people that, that are no longer with us, you know, people you've loved. Right. You can also feel people right. you've never met, you know. Like uh, I read a lot of Teilhard de Chardin's works, and I feel that I, I reach out to him sometimes when I meditate. Because you, you, when you read someone's uh, words, it's, it's in a way you're resonating with what they thought at the yeah, time they that wrote that sense. down. And uh, mantras well, and, are like that and, too. Um, when you when you say a mantra or a prayer, you're actually resonating with everyone who's ever said that in the in, in, you know in the past. You're actually entering sort of a like when you say as a Catholic, if you say a Hail Mary, you're there in that that dimension with everyone who's ever said a Hail Mary. You're sort of reaching out hmm. and, and getting some kind of a, a communal uh, charge and benefit from 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 just joining them. And this saying that, I mean, right. of course, going to opera is the same way. I love operas. And you go to an opera and you realize somebody wrote that 100 years ago. And many people have listened to it and got the same love and enjoyment from the, the music. And, uh, right. uh, again, David Bohm, the physicist, said, what you're doing is reaching into the implicate order, uh, which is a timeless, spaceless realm where there's seven other dimensions, uh, according to string theory. There's... There's 11 dimensions, and we only live normally, our everyday self, in time and space. You know, space has three dimensions, X, Y, Z, and time. That's, there's, there's four dimensions that we normally focus on exclusively. But there are other dimensions, you know, and the physicists give them funny names like charm and uh, love and <laughs> who knows. But the idea okay. is you want to contact these other dimensions, and you start to become right, more right. sensitive to them. So um, just quickly, uh, do you think this uh, practice might be forbidden in some religious traditions? I mean, you know, like, I'm you thinking know, I'm Christianity, uh, for instance, because, you know, they tend to want you to have a priest as the intermediary. Exactly. They want you, know, you to have this power yourself, you know. That that really puzzled me. Uh, when I started learning about mysticism, and, and I, I, you know, when I lived in Saudi Arabia, I had some really good books from medieval Christian mystics like Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross and others, uh, The Cloud of Unknowing. And there's wonderful things written about mysticism. But when I went to Catholic school as a kid, the nuns never mentioned meditation. They never mentioned mysticism. It's almost like they they wanted to join the scientific uh, revolution and throw out all the, the baby with the bathwater of mysticism which is, to me, the heart and right. soul of any religion, is getting in touch well, I mean, you, with these invisible dimensions. Well, you have a lot of these fundamentalists who believe even yoga, you know, opens you up to Satan, you know. So um, it's, it, it gets, it's really it gets sad. pretty crazy. Yeah. It's pretty sad. So but there, um, there any, are... dangers, any dangers, Shelley, to uh, trying to develop this? 
I wouldn't think so. Huh? No, I don't think. Well, it's good if you if you can go to a meditation class or get a book on meditation would help too to get you started. But I think the real danger is not developing any of these faculties. There's a danger in not developing right. supersensual perception and intuitive thinking because then you're like a deer in the forest that can't see, that's blind. And when you become sensitized, you start to intuitively feel and respond to a lot of things that normally you'd be blind to. Uh, so negative forces can really overwhelm you and your society and your culture if we totally focus on logic and words and uh, analytical thinking, which is a very masculine left brain practice, what we need to do is get back to balance, to balance the, uh, the right brain with the left brain and add the third element, which is getting into the transcendental through meditation. And I'm sure my old right. friend Baba Ramdas, who died recently, uh, Richard Alpert, would probably say the same thing, that we, you know, just be here now. Be here now is a very feminine right. thing because then you're aware of everything at the same time and you're not distracted by old memories and future planning. You're here right now. And the best thing you can do when you're talking to someone, whether it's your child or your spouse or your boss, is be there completely with them and listen. Just listen. It's the same thing you do when you meditate. It's just listen to your higher internal self. And I uh, well, and also sounds, buy my book, sounds of like a good note to, <laughs> Well, that sounds like a good note to close on. Uh, and we will go ahead and mention that book again. Uh, I, I mean, anyone who's heard you tonight uh, knows that it's jam-packed full of good stuff. Uh, developing Supersensible Perception, Knowledge of the Higher Worlds Through Athenogens, Prayer, and Non-Dual Awareness, which is the intuitive. Um, so, Shelley, uh, do you have a website you want to mention? Yes, I do. I have a website that has about 10 or 12 interviews, audio MP3 interviews, and uh, my books and my paintings. I have Supersensible Paintings. It's ShellyJoy.net. Uh, Shelley with an I, S-H-E-L-L-I, J-O-Y-E at, no, dot net, ShellyJoy dot net. Dot no net. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it, has been a, it, has, it has been a pleasure to talk to you, even if it has been a chore to keep um, lassoing you in. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, um, uh, we need about four hours okay. to I get mean, through you, I know, I know, I know. You have to practice at uh, at uh, paring this down, uh, you know, for the you know for the 15 minute interview, the 30 minute interview, the 60 minute interview. <laughs> um, but uh, but but it's it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I think you've uh, shared a, a lot of important stuff, uh, you know, for listeners tonight. And I I want to thank you for that, and I hope they will uh, do themselves a favor for the new year and uh, go by your book, Developing Supersensible Perception. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate having the, the chance to talk to you and your audience. Well, um, listen, you have a great 2020, and, uh, you know, I am always open to other show ideas. It feels like there's so much that we didn't even cover. Uh, if you want to email me with uh, some ideas for uh, some other shows, you know, oh, maybe sure. you can hone in on, on, on some of this stuff that we didn't even get a chance to talk about tonight. That would be great. I would love that. Okay. Well, give it some thought, and I'll, uh, I'll look for your email. Thank you, Shelley. Okay, well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Okay. All right, you have a great holiday, and good night. Good night. Okay, uh, well, that about does it uh, for tonight, listeners. Uh, thank you for tuning in, and as usual, don't forget you are the gas in my tank. And um, I want to uh, also let you know that um, if you didn't hear already that uh, there's going to be one more show this week, a special show. Uh, I am actually going to be doing uh, a show on Thursday at 11 a.m., uh, the 2nd of January, called Escaping the Wasteland. Uh, yes, indeed, Escaping the Wasteland. And then next Wednesday uh, at 11 a.m., I have with me Lynn Pipnett and Clive Prince. Uh, you probably have seen them on television quite often. Uh, they're going to be talking about their new book. Uh, I think the title is When God Was a Woman. But basically it's this, uh, you know, the 
God had a wife, and uh, you know, and they're going to be talking about that in context uh, of Judeo-Christian uh, religion. I know many of us uh, know some things about that, but I have no doubt that they will uh, be giving us uh, maybe some information we have yet to learn. Uh, then on the 15th, uh, uh, Wednesday the 15th at 11 a.m., I have uh, Sharon Robideau with me. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, daughters of uh, alcoholic mothers. And um, uh, great shows every week uh, in January and through to March. Uh, I'm really thrilled with the, the topics we're going to be covering uh, in the very near future here. So remember, uh, hit that follow button uh, so you don't miss any of the shows and you get notice of the shows in your um, email inbox. Uh, and I would invite you to go to my website, karentate.net. Yes, that's karentate.net. And um, take a look at uh, what I have there, not just books uh, and uh, newsletter, uh, but also uh, talks and workshops that I give and I'm available. And uh, as I said, I will be uh, highlighting my book, God is Calling, uh, with one message and one meditation uh, each month. And uh, coming in the uh, month of January, uh, on the 16th, a special show at 11 a.m., I'm going to be doing a show called Resolutions and Return of the Light. Resolutions and Return of the Light. Um, kind of uh, apropos for um, this time of year about uh, becoming our authentic self and um, uh, how we can connect with the energies of the season. So, uh, that about does it for tonight. I uh, hope you got all of that information, and I will be back with you on um, Thursday, I believe, 11 o'clock. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, please tell your friends about the show, and uh, Happy New Year. Hope you have a great holiday uh, for New Year's Eve uh, tomorrow night and uh, New Year's Day. Uh, start the new year off right. Uh, do something just for yourself, just for your authentic self. Good night. <laughs>